Bibles with you tonight, and you want to turn there. I'm going to be taking some scripture out of the gospel according to Matthew in chapter 8. And uh, we'll start reading at verse 15. And if you're familiar with the gospel according to Matthew, uh, you've probably uh, at least read this once or twice. This is kind of Jesus winding up the Sermon on the Mount. And I find myself in these uh, three chapters, Matthew uh, uh, 5, 6, and 7, uh, resorting to them often. And uh, you know that it's, it's probably the most comprehensive sermon that's ever been written down that Jesus gave, you know, from beginning to end. And uh, if you're familiar with it, you know that it begins that there's a large crowd that comes out to Jesus and He looks around and sees the crowd. And so He goes up on the side of the mountain. That way everybody can see Him and everybody can hear Him. And I imagine that's with the finest traditions of the fact that the preacher usually is up on a raised area up above the congregation, not because that He's above them or anything like that. but so that everybody can uh, receive the preached Word of God uh, in an equal manner. And so Jesus is up on this mountain and uh, there's so much in in those three chapters that I would never be able to preach it all in in, in one time uh, without exhausting both myself and the congregation. But I can tell you right here that any time that I read the Word of God, and this is advice that I try to live by and I give other people, any time that you read the Word of God, one of the big things that you really need to be on the lookout for is a warning. And here in Matthew chapter 7 at verse 15, you'll notice Jesus literally uses the words, Beware. The other things that you should look for whenever that you're reading the Word of God, aside from a warning, uh, uh, would be a commandment uh, and a promise. You look for those three things every time you read the Word of God. Uh, and, and, and everything that you read will fall into one of those three categories. Uh, and tonight we're going to talk about the warnings, uh, but also the blessings, because this sermon started out with blessings. He said, Blessed are they that are merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Uh, blessed are the righteous, for they will see God. Uh, and, and he listed off those beatitudes. Uh, uh, and, and one thing that I read in Matthew Henry's commentary, and I've never noticed this before, uh, is he said that the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, ends with a curse. And yet Jesus, when He begins His ministry, He starts with a blessing. And I tell you, that's wonderful that Jesus has brought the blessing for us. He's brought an expansion of our understanding. He's reconciled us unto the Heavenly Father in a way in which that we could never do so ourselves. And we need to understand that once that we begin to seek Him, that He's easy to find. But we have to be careful of what we're associated Associating with and what we're buying into. And there are so many insidious things. Had a conversation with a fellow minister a year or two ago, and we were talking about how much paganism has just worked itself into American culture. How that somebody will rear back and say, and I'll go ahead and say this before you I've never broken a bone. Now, the thing that Typical popular culture would say, Oh, you better knock on wood, Brother Jeremiah. You better pay homage to the God of wood and hay and stone and stubble. Oh, wait. That's also the God of chance. You knock on wood, 
to a pagan dead God. And when I think about that, I often tell people, look, the only God that I have is the one true God, the one in heaven. And He's kept me from broken bones. And if He sees fit to continue to do so, that's fine. If He doesn't, that's fine too. But I'll tell you this, I'm not going to turn in the day of my calamity to the gods of wood and hay and stone and stubble in order to be saved because the only one that can and save unto the utmost is the Most High God. Beware of those things. And you'll notice that Satan, while that he works, uh, is he works through half-truths. He'll tell you a story. Uh, Temptation is something that you want, uh, and it'll draw you away. Uh, uh, The way the Bible puts it is it said, lust, when it conceives, uh, it brings forth sin. Sin, when it's finished, uh, it brings forth death. Nothing else. Sin brings death. And so Jesus begins to talk here in Matthew chapter 7. We'll start reading at verse 15. He says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Uh, Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns uh, or figs of thistles? Uh, uh, Now what Jesus is saying is He's saying, look uh, at what they do. Uh, uh, Look uh, at how they are. You don't have to watch them long uh, uh, to find out uh, that they're not on the right track. Now I'll say this uh, uh, as a cautionary uh, tale to this, uh, is that if you see me mess up... uh, as a Christian, if you'll be patient with me, or if you bring it to my attention, you'll find that I'll come to a repentant state. And the Bible tells us when we see a brother taken in a fault, we're supposed to go to them, not grab the phone and say, hold on now, guess what i seen Brother Jeremiah do or say or how he messed up, but rather come and say, Brother Jeremiah, is everything alright? I've seen you stumble and fall, and I'm here to help you up brother I'm not going to quit on you I'm going to help you up but what happens a lot of times is that men will come in they'll sound just like I sound right now and they'll say similar things but the problem comes in is that a sermon isn't a sermon unless it's anchored in Christ has to be it's all on him Because if it's not on Him, you think about if we ever stand before God and we're being judged and He asks, what gives you the right to enter into heaven? If you begin to say anything about what you've done, you've already messed up. You cannot answer that with, I've done this or I've done that. You have to answer, it's all on Christ. I'm not good. I shouldn't be here without Him. I can't make it. I can't do it. Any sermon that you hear, any testimony that you hear, you make sure that it is founded in Jesus Christ. Because if it isn't, then you're probably entertaining a false prophet. And take heed. Because you'll notice Jesus goes on and He says, verse 17, Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not fruit forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know 
then uh, that you'll notice if you were to turn back to the beginning of this same chapter, uh, it's everybody's favorite Bible verse. Judge not, uh, lest ye be judged. And yet Jesus uh, is saying right here, uh, you'll know them by their fruits. Uh, you look at what they do. Uh, and this squares with when the Pharisees came to Jesus uh, and Jesus began to tell them, look, uh, I am the light of God come into this world. Uh, and they looked at him and said, you're testifying of yourself. Who can believe you? And Jesus said, well, fine, then if you don't believe me for what I'm telling you, look around at what I've done. And I think the most abominable thing that the Pharisees ever did was when they would watch at one point, it says that the man come to Jesus with a withered hand. And the Pharisees, uh, they were ducked back in behind everything, popping up and looking to see if, if he would heal him. That's what it tells me. They believed he could do it. They had no doubt that He could do it, but they didn't want Him to do it because it was the Sabbath. It was a technicality. Could you imagine coming to the Savior of this world and Him saying, come back during business hours. I'm on vacation. I've got tea time at 9 o'clock and you've arrived at 8.45. I'm sorry, but I haven't a time for you. Largely, that would be Him treating us maybe the way we treat Him. Oh, yes. Oh, Jesus, I'll pray, but later... Jesus, I'll witness to that person when it's convenient. I'll do it when it's easy. Imagine if Jesus had been down the Garden of Gethsemane and said, Lord, I'll do it when it won't hurt so bad. Lord, I'll go to the cross uh, if you can guarantee me that I don't have to bleed out my blood, uh, if they won't make fun of me and strip me naked uh, in front of a large crowd of people and poke me in the side uh, and I'll have the sin of the world upon me, uh, then I'll do it. Because let's face it, if you read the book of Isaiah, everybody at Isaiah chapter 9 wants to be the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 9, it says they'll call Him Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Everybody stand up and say, yeah, I'll do that. But when you get to Isaiah 53... When they talk about him being wounded uh, uh, for our sins and bruised, uh, that he was chastised, uh, that it pleased God uh, uh, to pour out his wrath upon him, then everybody would suddenly say, you know what, I I think I've got other things to do that day. I don't think I want a part of that. And you see, it's well said when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Uh, that when you really know uh, uh, that you're working for the Lord uh, is when it's not easy and you do it anyway. Uh, when it is that you dig in uh, and you say, though, uh, I might not receive blessing down here for it, uh, uh, that I know that there's a blessing uh, that exceeds the things of this world. Because Jesus at one point He looks at all of His disciples and He said, unless that your righteousness goes beyond that which the Pharisees have, you'll in no wise enter in. Because He goes on here in verse 21, notice what He says. He says, Not everyone that saith unto Me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of My Father which is in heaven. Now the problem is for us Christian people, if we're not careful, we become spiritual bureaucrats where we pull out the Ten Commandments and we have little check boxes next to them. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. All right, I'm there every Sunday. Check that off. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Oh, I'm pretty sure I can check that one off. Don't lie. Check. Don't steal. Check. Don't commit adultery. Check. Thou shalt not covet. Uh, I'm going to put a question mark 
next to that one. And, and, and honor father and mother. I, I think I can check that. I'll have to call them, but I, I think it's, I will tentatively put a check mark in pencil. And you do that. And maybe you can check all ten off. But the thing that will get us a lot of time is what Jesus said when He said, Them that know to doeth right and doeth it not, to them it is sin. You know what that means? Uh, he just said, unless they do the will of the Father. And what is the will of the Father? You don't have to look around. A lot of people come to me and say, Brother Jeremiah, I just don't know what God's will is. I do. It's spelled out very plainly uh, in John chapter 3 uh, uh, when it says that the will of the Father is that none should perish, uh, but that all should have everlasting life. That's the will of the Father. Uh, so your mandate as a Christian uh, is to go out there uh, and to try to get them saved. Now, I can tell you this, and it seems absurd to think about it in these terms, but imagine somebody falls overboard from a boat that you're on, and you throw them a life ring. And they'll look and say, I don't like the color of that life ring. I don't want it. Or I don't like the guy that threw it. (laughs) You didn't. That life ring doesn't have the right translation on it. That life ring just isn't what I... I'm just not ready for the life ring. Well, maybe when you're floating face down in the dead man's float, you'll be ready for the life ring, but you'll have precious little ability to grab it. And you see, there are all manner of people that go forth into this world and they'll begin to tell you things, half-truths, Jehovah's false witnesses that go around and they knock on doors more readily than we do. They put us to shame about that. But when you put them to the question and say, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? That He was not just some ghost or apparition. That He was 100% God and 100% man. You watch Him squirm. Because they don't want to say that He was. But I can tell you this, if He isn't, then we don't need Him. And if every word in this book isn't true, I don't want it. And if everything that Jesus Christ did and said in this world isn't true, then, well, we just don't have any hope. That's right. The Messiah didn't come, and we are still dead in our trespasses and sin. But Jesus said, look, it's not just about maintaining appearances. And I can tell you, that's a big thing nowadays. You think about it. And the first person who would tell me, oh no, I don't care what other people think about me, I'd say, well, what's the first thing you do anytime you fall or about fall down? If you notice that, you can fall, break a bone, and the first thing you'll do is look around and see if anybody saw you. Oh, yeah. Before you seek medical attention, you'll be worried about how did that look? Hope nobody had their camera out when that happened because everybody's got a, a, a video recorder just walking around with them all the time now. And we do that. And we do care. But I can tell you that God sees everything we do. There are things that are known only to me and God that I dare not utter out loud to my shame. But I can tell you this, He's seen it. He knows me better than anybody else. And I remember when He began to call me to preach and I trotted those things out. The things that I thought, the things that I'd said, the things that I'd done in secret. I brought it all out that I could remember. And I said, God, You don't want this guy. And then He began to thumb through the book of my life. And He said, I don't see any of that. It's been blotted out. Oh, yes. 
There's no record of that. All that I see when I see you is the blood of the Son. That's what gets it for you. It's not about how much that you work or do or anything else. But I can tell you this, if you're one of His, you will want to do His work. That it can't help but happen. The way I've often said it is whatever you fill yourself up with, whenever you get jostled, that's what's going to slosh out. Oh, yeah. If it's goodness and kindness and meekness and righteousness and pureness of heart, when somebody comes along and cuts you off on the road, then what will slosh out? You see, because your relationship to the Lord is only as good as your worst moment. Oh, yeah. And you may say, well, Brother Jeremiah, that's awful hard doctrine. You should hear what Jesus said about it. In the earlier parts of this same book, uh, uh, when he's uh, engaging in this Sermon on the Mount, he looked at him and he said, You've heard it said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. And he said, I say unto you that if you have lust in your heart for another, you're an adulterer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember the first time I read that as an adult. I thought, whoa, wait a minute now. I don't remember Mama Eula going over this one in Sunday school. I mean, we talked about Zacchaeus and King David and all these things, but not about uh, the fact that I thought the law was right here and turns out it's way higher than what I, I, I even conceived of. And then I remember when I read that and I thought, my goodness, I'm a murderer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a thief. I'm a liar. And then you may say, oh no, Brother Jeremiah, I'm not a thief. I'm not an adulterer. But the problem is, is that any one of them that you're guilty makes you guilty of all of them. And then what Jesus was doing was He said, He literally said, you think I've come to do away with the law? He prefaced all of that with this. He said, I've not come to do away with the law. He said, I've come to dot the I's. Cross the T's. To finish it up. And to perfect it. And then to keep it. And He kept it unlike any of us. And when He kept it, He condemned sin in the flesh. He He ran the race and He never faltered at any time even though that He could have. Because at another point, uh, you'll find uh, uh, that Jesus, when He was talking to His disciples, and I imagine a lot of times, they were kind of talking out of the corner of their mouth to each other. you have any idea what He's saying? Uh, No, not really. Or, well, yeah, of course I do, but I ain't got time to explain it to you. And a lot of the time, though, they didn't understand until they met the resurrected Christ. I had an academic knowledge of this book before I ever became a Christian. But there was a lot of stuff that I didn't understand until that I met the resurrected Christ. Until that I engaged with Him and then the Holy Spirit began to impart truth to me. uh, uh, That I realized when I read that, when Jesus elevated the law, that what He was saying is, Look, you need a Savior and I'm that guy. You need saved from your sin. That the moment that we think that we're so good that we need not be saved or so bad that we cannot be saved, we've believed a lie out of the devil's hell. And there's lots of people running around and they're saying, here's the algorithm, here's the prescription. You do this set of things and you'll be saved. And when they do that, they make Christianity just like any other religion. Yes, they do, yes. All the other religions, they have a list of things. Oh, Oh, just do this and you'll be good. And they place all the burden on you. 
And I can tell you when I began examining, I looked around and I thought, well, there's bound to be stuff that I've done and said that I don't remember doing or saying. How can I atone for that? How can I pay for it? Perhaps I could bleed out every drop of my own blood, but my blood isn't worthy of the sacrifice. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. And so what happened is the man that said these words, that he went, he stretched out his arms, hung on a tree, bled his blood, and that blood is what atones for our sins. It's not because some guy who comes in with a lot of nice rings and a real nice car and a, a suit that costs more than maybe our mortgage on our house uh, uh, comes and tells us this. Uh, I can tell you, don't be impressed by the things of the world. Because my mind thinks about in this same book when that Jesus faced Satan there in the wilderness. And if you'd have walked up on the two of them, you'd have been impressed by Satan. You'd have looked... He'd have looked like a million bucks. Oh, yeah. He'd have been the guy. He's a handsome fella. Look at that. It's well said that he appears as an angel of light. Temptation doesn't come as the ugly, horrid things uh, that we often think of them as. Uh, they come in beauty. Uh, they appear as a good thing. Uh, and they'll lead us astray. Uh, it's well said uh, uh, that sin will take us farther than what we want to go. Uh, uh, keep us longer than what we want to stay. Uh, and cost us more than what we want to pay. And so Jesus, when He's warning them about these false teachers, He's saying, what they're going to say to you, you're going to like. Now I'll go ahead and give you another telltale sign of a false prophet. When they get up before a congregation, if they begin vomiting sunshine on everyone, that's a problem. Uh-huh. That if my preaching don't step on your toes sometimes, you better start getting cautious about oh, yeah. it. That if all I ever prophesy to you is that good things are going to happen for you, Miss Cleo, on the psychic helpline, she'll do that too. Oh, yeah. But if I look at you and say, you don't, if you don't change your ways, you're going to die and go to the devil's oh, hell. Yeah. That if you don't turn back, you're going to put enmity between you and God. Because the thing that seems to be most common amongst people nowadays that are Christians, and, and, and perhaps they've never read this set of Scriptures uh, that we're in right now, is they look around and they say, oh, I'm alright. I'm Okay. And the scripture that always comes to my mind when I think that of myself is any man that thinks he stands should take heed lest he fall. I'm doing good. I'm going well. I'm telling you, you better look around and be real careful. Because you'll notice Jesus goes on in verse 22. He says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works, and then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Uh, that they'll come and they'll say, well, now I was at church every Sunday. Great, that's fine. Did you know that a person can die and go to hell from the church pew? It's quite easy. And Satan is just as content for somebody to die and go to hell from the church pew as he is face down in the gutter. Uh, uh, That what has to be had uh, is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because you'll notice he said, I never knew you. A few years ago, there was a man talking to my father-in-law. He was an inspector for the state road. 
And the guy worked for a contractor, was a contractor. I don't even remember the guy's name. I didn't bother. But he was talking to my father-in-law out on a job. My father-in-law was getting on to him because he wasn't doing things to spec. And the guy began to say, well, now I belong to your son-in-law's church. My father-in-law mentioned that to me the next time. And I said, what's his name? And he told me, he said, I've never heard of the guy. And I told him, I said, next time that he tells you that, you ask him what I preached on last Sunday. Ask him to describe my appearance. Because I've never seen the guy. I don't know him. I'm sure he's heard of me. But you see, just hearing about Jesus and just liking his Facebook page, that, you don't know him. You don't have a personal relationship with somebody unless you meet them. Years ago, my Aunt Jackie, her uh, uh, daughter and, and grandchildren, they were in Hawaii. And I helped them get set up to where that they could FaceTime each other. What a wonderful world we live in, you know, to where that you can see video of each other. You know, we thought it'd be in the 23rd century in Star Trek, but it's happening in the 21st century. And I remember seeing her and her talking to her grandchildren and to her daughter and visiting with them. And after she got off of the call, I asked her, I said, is that enough? And she said, what? And I said, is that enough? Could you subsist only with that in your relationship with them? And she said, No. It's just a stay until that I can see them again. And a lot of people are wanting to FaceTime the Lord. A lot of people are just wanting to say, oh yeah, I approve of that message. It's the same as the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus begins to really lay down the law, people say, yeah, you get them, Jesus. That wasn't the point. The point was, oh me, I need a Savior. I need a personal relationship. And anything short of knowing Him personally it literally says right there, it's not going to cut it. Right. Oh, but Lord, my, my dad, he, he was a Christian, it doesn't matter. I know your dad, I don't know you. Yeah. Oh Lord, but uh, I, I, I read the Bible through in a year a dozen times. Great. That makes you a scholar, but I don't know you. You can do all of these things and have an academic understanding and still die and go to hell because you don't have Christ as a personal Savior. And yet it is that there are people uh, who can be saved that can't read a lick. But they are saved because they believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus whom they have heard. And how can they hear unless a preacher preaches to them? And how can a preacher preach unless he be sent? And you'll find that when you come out that the Holy Spirit will tell on a man if he's one of these false prophets. If you'll listen to Him, if you'll listen to the Holy Spirit, He'll lead you right. Jesus said He will lead you into all truth. You know what that means? He won't lead you wrong. And I've said many times, and while most of you know that uh, I pastor a free will Baptist church, I grew up going to a Pentecostal church, uh, and I've preached in many different denominations, and I can tell you this, uh, anything that causes you to balk uh, at following the Holy Spirit is wrong. If the Holy Spirit bids you to do something, listen to Him, not to the denomination. If the Holy Spirit bids you to do something and you think it'll look foolish, do it anyway. I'd rather look foolish for the Lord than to be perfectly normal and acceptable to the world and die and go to hell right along with them. Because any old dead fish can go with the flow, can't they? But it takes swimming against the current sometimes. But I can tell you, you get down and read these words and 
You'll notice that Jesus, and I'll, I'll summarize the remainder of this chapter because uh, I, I don't think we have time to read it, but he says, he says, now here's the rub. This is Brother Jeremiah's paraphrase, okay? So I'm not going to use the King James English. But Jesus says, Here, here's the deal, people. If you hear what I've told you and you do it, here's what you're like. He said, you're like a guy who knew how to build a house. Ah, uh, yes. Dug deep, laid the foundation upon the rock, and when the wind and the rain came against it, uh, that it stood firm. Those that dig deep, uh, dig deep into this Word. Uh, search it out. Uh, let the Holy Spirit lead you. Jesus said those that hear His sayings, He would say there's somebody who dug deep and they'll stand no matter what comes yeah. their way. And He said, but those that hear them and don't do them, because both heard. See, that's the thing. I can't tell you, as a teacher... As a teacher, nothing is more frustrating. And I've got one particular student that I'm thinking about right now, but I'll dare not utter their name. But every time I'll get them in, I, we have a routine. I'll have written on the board what we're going to do that day. It never fails. He'll come into the room. Mr. Williamson, what are we going to do today? I'll turn around and point at the board. Oh, you wrote it on the board? Yes, every day. And then we'll get situated and get everybody settled. And I'll explain what I'm wanting them to do. And, everybody, and I'll say, now does everybody know what to do? Yes, Mr. Williamson, we all know what to do. All right, good. We'll get to it. I'll circulate around and help you. The same kid. Mr. Williamson? Yes? I'm walking over there. What are we doing? And a few days ago, now I was really frustrated with him. And the Lord stopped me mid-sentence. said, yeah, it's kind of aggravating when you give them instruction and they don't heed it, isn't it? Oh, well. So I gave that cooling breath of relief. And I explained again. Explained to the young man. And then I thought, I, I hear you, Lord. I hear you. He always seems to want to flip things around on me. <laughs> Step on my own toes. I've been listening to my own sermons and said, ouch, amen. <laughs> but I'll tell you this. Everybody hears, but not everybody does. And that's the difference. Yes. A believer is a doer. Yes. It's not just enough to say it. It's not just enough to endorse it. What is enough is that you do the will of the Father because you are in the Son. Because once you're in the Son, you can't help but do the will of the Father. And that's it. Because way back at the beginning of this same sermon, Jesus, after He finished up the Beatitudes, He told them, He said, your salt and your light, let your light shine. And salt, when it's lost its savor, it's good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden underfoot. And I can't tell you how many times that I, when I'm doing chemistry with my students that I'll, I'll tell them about sodium chloride. Well, what's that? That sounds interesting. And I'm like, you eat it every day. Many of you probably too much of it. And they're like, what do you mean? And I said, it's table salt. That's the chemical formula for table salt. And I'll tell them about it. And I say, well, what's the salt that you put on the roads? Same thing. It's the same stuff. You mean it'll melt ice and I'm eating it? Yeah, absolutely. And it don't hurt me? No. 
I mean, too much of it will. But you see, a lot of times the things are, is that when we don't get things internally, they don't do us any good. And Jesus was telling them to be salt. You know what that means? That means when you come with the Word of God, you season it. Yes. I, I, got to, I was blessed to be a stay-at-home dad for a brief while several years ago. My kids were tickled with it all except for one area that they unanimously to this day agree, Mommy is a better cook than Daddy. And I have no issue with that. They, they are speaking the absolute truth. And there were a couple of times that I'd be making something and I'd forget the salt. Plum forget it. And then, you know, the kids didn't know any better. They were still little bitty. Mommy had always salted it for them. Just throw them out. Daddy, here you go. Here's your food. This don't taste right. This don't taste like it does when Mommy makes it. And Crystal, I asked her one day, I said, I made it exactly the way you told me to make it. And she said, well... I said, what else do you... There's got to be a missing step. And finally, I was able to figure out she salted it for him. That was the step that I was missing. And the kids, hey, this is pretty good, Daddy. You know, I took that as uh, even a broken clock is right twice a day. You know, I, I managed to do something good, you know, as far as cooking. And I found out when I started kind of studying up on cooking, that man, they, they tell you to put salt in about everything. Oh, yeah. I was making them hot cocoa from scratch one time. Not just a little ready-made thing. It said like a, a, I think it was a quarter teaspoon of salt. Salt? And hot chocolate? And it's good. Oh, yeah. I had to test it out to see the difference. And I'm telling you, without the salt, meh. But with the salt, now it's good. Oh, yeah. And I remember thinking about that scripture where it says, Oh, taste and see that the oh, Lord is good. Happy. Yeah. Is he that trusteth in him. Salt, uh, we're called to be salt. You know what that means? Uh, that means to come along and bring this word uh, and to season it with the things uh, that you know to be true. Uh, uh, the truth that God has imparted to you in your life. Look, uh, you don't have to load up uh, your Scripture gun and start blasting away at somebody. What you do need to do uh, is bring the Scripture, but tell them what it means to you. Show them what the Lord has done for you in your life. Now I can tell you, I've talked to drug addicts. I've never been addicted to anything in my life that I'm aware of. I can't minister to them like maybe somebody who's been delivered from that, but I can tell them that God can deliver them from that. Just like He delivered me from lymphoma when I was 26 years old. I thought, sure, my card was getting ready to be punched. And I can tell you this, they thought, sure, that I had it. And I won't stand here and say that they were wrong, but I will stand here and say that I don't have it. And it's because that I know that there's a God in heaven heaven who will heal to the utmost that he can help when there is no help and so no I don't know what it's like to be in the grips of addiction but I know my God can break it I know that my God can transform a person and all it takes is for his words going into their ears sinking down into their heart and then beginning to dig deep and to lay upon the foundation upon the rock and build something that when the wind and the rains come against it it won't fall because in wrapping this up, you'll notice that Jesus said that the wind and the rains came to both houses. Oh yes. It didn't just come to the one that was prepared or the one that wasn't prepared. It came to both of them. 
And when the one fell, he said the fall of it was great. And Jesus ends the sermon with that. He's saying, look, don't just hear it. Don't just clap your hands and say, that's right. Do it. It's one thing to endorse it. It's another to live it. To do it. To do the will of the Father. Because once again, if you're checking boxes off of the Ten Commandments, you better look around and say, do I know to do what's right? And if I don't do it, to me, that's sin. And that's not just what saith Brother Jeremiah. That's what saith the Word of God. Because you'll notice when Jesus ends this sermon, and I'll read the last uh, uh, two verses, uh, how that uh, Matthew chapter 7 ends. It says, And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at His doctrine. For He taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. (laughs) You know what the difference is? A scribe is like sitting down and reading a book. The scribes knew the law forwards and backwards. But they couldn't teach you how to apply it to your life. That I've seen lots of instances where somebody will quote Scripture after Scripture after Scripture. But open it up to me. Make it live to me. Show me how that it's real in my life. And the best example I can use of that is how Jesus looked at a group of people and He told them, He said, look, all it takes is a little bit of faith. He said, just faith about the size of a grain of a mustard seed. You can say to the mountain, be ye cast into the ocean, and it will be. And of course, critics of the Bible would say, but there are seeds smaller than that because Jesus said, the smallest of all the seeds. And I'm sure critics of the Bible now, you know, they'll Google it. Aha! Jesus is wrong. Well, Jesus knew about that seed that was even smaller but you'll find that it was found in North and South America. And at that point, they didn't know nothing about North and South America. He could have mentioned that and they'd have looked and said, what? He told them about what they knew about. He related it to them in terms that they would understand. I might be able to get up here and blather on for 45 minutes or an hour and tell you, uh, read you Scripture and expound upon it, give you illustrations and do all these things, and a person can leave this house no, no more saved than when they come in. And then one of you might go out there and tell them your story, and they be pierced to their heart. Oh, yeah. Because that you've given them your testimony of what the Lord brought you from. And they'll look around and say, you know what? If He'll do that for them, maybe He'll help me too. Because I'll be honest with you, I wasn't the guy. I, you know, I was very thankful when the Lord saved me, but most people that knew me when I was younger, they just kind of thought it was a foregone conclusion. I thought I was a wretched fellow. And a lot of people's like, well, you're a pretty good guy, Jeremiah. You know, you weren't bad to X, Y, or Z. And no, I wasn't. And I was a hard worker, and I was this, and I was that. But I wasn't so good that I didn't need a Savior. Right. I hadn't gotten so many things right that I didn't need saved and I would have gone to hell just as readily as the worst person you can think of. Oh yes. You see, because a lot of the lie that goes around in this world is, oh, you don't need a Savior. Oh, this religion is just a concoction and it's just emotionalism and it's just sensationalism. No. What it is is a covenant with the living God forged in His Son's blood. That's it. And when we come before God, that's all that matters is the blood of the Lamb. Is it applied or is it not? But you'll know this. If you believe in the blood of the Lamb, you'll do what this book says. 
you'll follow him. You'll seek him. You'll ask. You'll knock. You'll do all these things. And then when the wind and the rains come, you'll stand firm. I hope that you've been blessed.